Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. What's up guys? If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't already joined us over at the Facebook group, which is uh, just search on Facebook, Dog Talk with Nick Benger podcast discussion group, then go over there and join us there because that's where all the discussion goes on about what happened on the podcast and you can ask your questions and we can do our best to answer them. It's also the first place that I usually advertise the podcast or advertise that I've posted one so people can see it as soon as it comes out. Having said that, I'm sorry this one is a little bit late. I've been really ill this week. I also had some exciting news this week in terms of sponsorship. So we've got our first sponsor, which is Butternut Box. Butternut Box is a home-cooked dog food. They use the freshest ingredients, is perfectly portioned and delivered to your door. They want to change the pet food industry for the better to make dogs live healthier, happier, longer lives. And their food is great. It's, It's great for fuzzy ears. It's great for dogs that have sensitive stomachs. It's made by nutritionists and it's praised by loads of vets. It's one of the few dog foods to have a five-star rating on All About Dog Food. And that was one of the reasons that I decided to accept them as a sponsor because I've always greatly respected the independent review site All About Dog Food. I think their reviews are usually spot on. Uh, They... They are tricky to get a five-star rating on. There aren't many foods that have done that. So so for Butternut Box to have got a five-star rating on All About Dog Food. And, and also, the owner of the site has even kind of put up a testimonial of his own, if you can call that. Just saying how great the people that make uh, Butternut Box are in terms of how much they want to get it right. And I certainly experienced that when we started speaking on the phone they're the nicest people and they clearly believe in their product. They they clearly really want to get it right. And and I love that. Um I, I love what they're doing. I, I think it's a it's a really um a really great mission because there's so many crap dog foods out there and they're making it accessible. I mean I I feed my dogs raw at the moment, um and I I'm waiting for my first butternut box to arrive. And one of the problems with feeding raw, and I was speaking to um, Hannah over at Butternut Box about this, is so many people don't want to have to deal with the gore and the kind of like raw meat juice all over the place or filling up the freezer with uh, raw dog food, which I can completely understand, which, which I think is where Butternut Box comes in because it's still a five-star dog food. It's still an absolutely great dog food, but it's home-cooked. It doesn't look gross. It's not disgusting. And I think that's going to probably be a great relief to us because even though we're dog people, you know, I keep reptiles, so we, we have lo- we have dead animals in the freezer and all that kind of stuff. Um, no one wants to have raw meat juice all over the place. And, you know, if you feed raw, fair enough, you're still on a five star, you know, you're still on, on some great dog food. But for those of us that, that are a little bit more delicate partner box is a great option i mean they they even deliver it to you um in the portion ready for your dog you know you put in your dog's weight 
and they send out the correct amount. So it really couldn't get any easier. So yeah, Burner Box sounds great, and, and I'm really happy to have kind of partnered with them. Um, so what you can do as a, as a listener to this podcast is you can get a 75% discount on your first order. So your first order is ridiculously cheap. Uh, they've made it so cheap that you can really just try this, see what you think of it. And and if you don't like it, cancel it. But I, I think that, um, you know, I think, I think it's going to be a great service. So I, I very much doubt you will cancel it once you've had your first box. But give it a go. Um, you can't then turn down um, dog food at that price, especially five-star rated dog food. It's incredible. Um, so to do that, go to buttonupbox.com slash Nick Benger. So, um, yeah, go over there, order your dog food, and I'm, I'm sure you'll appreciate it. Let me know what you think as well. So today I am interviewing Sam Turner. Sam has a degree in ethology. At, but at an early age, she was fascinated by movement. She was always watching things move, and that really fascinated her. So as she kind of progressed through her career, she started her own dog training facility. But then she kind of went back to that and, and began to specialize in proprioception. I know that weird, that word, that weird? <laughs> I'm preempting this. That word sounds weird. Your beard is weird, <laughs> if anyone follows Eminem. I know the weird, I know, oh my God, Jesus Christ. I know the word is weird and strange but Sam is going to explain what proprioception is uh, and why you should try it Um, because I was a little bit sceptical at first but I think Sam really breaks this down well Um, she's obviously explained it a million times and and she's really um, good at what she does she offers courses and workshops in proprioception training but she also has taught this all over the world so keep an eye out for her workshops and seminars and, and get along to them if you can so without further ado, I'm going to let Sam explain it because she's going to do a hell of a better job than I can. Let's get into it. It seems to me like proprioception is a relatively new thing, at least in kind of the public knowledge of it. It is. It's. Um, it has started years back. And I believe that the physiotherapists have been using it for ages, of course. So it sort of comes from there. And then it's, uh, I think, um, there was an on-the-ball video or DVD uh, series. And that from there, it sort of took off. And, Who was that? Um, uh, I can't remember. But it's... Um, it's a DVD. It's called On the Ball, uh, but, and it is, it. it is, yeah, I'll, I'll try and find it. And it is about um, working on the egg balls or peanuts, those air-filled things, and that does come from physiotherapy. Okay. And trainers have been then using it uh, and sort of translating it to normal training, mostly being picked up by sports trainers years and years and years ago and it slowly trickled into the um you know pet dog training as well uh, but the, still sports those peanut things are like uh those are those are probably where i first started hearing about proprioception because there was kind of a probably like a little time where you know you went on facebook and there were just loads of people with their dogs balancing on them or whatever and it was kind of like whoa what the what's going on here what the hell is this what is this <laughs> yeah i know and it's still it's still one of the favorite things to do for people because it's the most sexy part. Okay. 
uh, and it's, it does require loads of strength of the dog. But it, it's also, you know, dog training is in large part still an ego thing uh, for a lot of people. And if your dog can do that, that's just cool, basically. But, um, yeah, it goes a bit further than it just being cool. Yeah, it's kind of but a doublet. I learned, it, yeah, I learned about it with a young dog that I started and I was doing a course with, uh, well, one of my heroes, Kay Lawrence. Okay, sure. Um, and it was preparing young dogs for sports years, years ago. I think it must be eight, nine years ago. And uh, so that's where it, where it sort of got into it with a whole group of international trainers. Um, I think the different trainers be sort of building from there and uh, making it into their theme. The whole ego thing is a double-edged sword, right? Because it's kind of like, well... You know, it's getting people training, but then people push their dogs yeah. too far, and they, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. But- it is. It's it's it is a fine line that you walk, and I love it when people get enthusiastic, and then you just got to find the brakes again. So, all right, take it easy, <laughs> give them some time. So, yeah, it's it's difficult to sort of um, get a right balance. Well, a balance, a nice word. Uh, get a right balance is that it's pretty hard and I get a lot of clients that or questions basically about uh, the workshops or the classes and I always start very basic with basic skills and uh, yeah that sometimes can get people a little bit um, disappointed uh, because they expect their dogs to be you know four legs on a four feet on a ball straight away uh, which is yeah not mostly not the case well often that's a challenge with any kind of class or 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 like that reminds me very much of sports you know if you go to an agility class i think some people expect them to rock up and just like be start running courses that's <laughs> <Yes>, true <laughs> and it's like well you've got yeah. to take it a bit slower but i wanted to yeah. start at the beginning anyway and kind of because yeah. there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this and cool. they don't know what proprioception is. They might not have never came across that word. So could you kind yeah. of explain what it is a little bit? The proprioception is knowing, the, the short uh, version is knowing where your body is uh, in relation to everything around you. So knowing where the top of your head is and also knowing where your, your you know, the ends of your arms and your feet. Uh, so basically knowing where you are in space. Uh, so if you stretch out your arms in a group, you are going to do that in a way that you're not going to hit anybody in the face. And usually you have learnt in your life um, how to sort of sense where people are, and that is your proprioception. And it is, uh, there's millions and millions of receptors all through your body, and they provide information to the brain, and that then makes this picture of your body in a certain area or just you know a, um, sort of like a, a photograph of your hands if, if you work with your hands a lot so if you're or, or you're say you're like a musician um, and you do string instrument for instance or piano uh, then you have very good control over your fingers and you know exactly what your hands are doing at any given moment or not just your hand but each part of your fingers and uh, so if you use your body a lot, you have these um, maps, that's the word, maps in your head that sort of tell you where that piece of your body is at any given time. And the more you use certain parts, the more detailed the map becomes. Yeah, as you're saying this, I'm kind of thinking of that game that um, kids always have where they have to put the shapes in the right holes. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of perception of, of how to 
put things or how to uh, how to move your body and i thought you made a really great analogy before where you were talking about when people are driving because i think a lot of people that will resonate you know when a lot of people don't have an awareness of how big their car is oh my god yeah (laughs) (laughs) i still do that i've got this volkswagen van and then uh, i can just make it under a two meter uh, bar uh when you go into a parking garage but only just and I always, 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 <laughs> always duck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like that, but with people's or dogs' bodies. Yeah, with your body. Yeah, so basically every part of your body. So um, when you stand somewhere and then you close your eyes, you sort of have a sense of where everything still is, not just because you've seen it, but, uh, you know, the light goes out and then, um, yes, you have a map of the room you're in, but you also need to figure out like how far out can I put my feet and you need to know how to do that so that's all part of proprioception so so the next question I have then is obviously people and dogs and and stuff we've you know been around for for an incredible amount of time and no one's Mm -hmm. seemingly been deliberately working on this so so Mm -hmm. why what is the benefit of doing this additional work to try and increase that awareness yeah, I think the, um, um, you can go at it from different angles, but uh, even if we look just at us as people, we get, or at least I think everybody gets gym class in school okay. when they're younger, uh-huh. and that is to learn uh, loads of th- loads of stuff. So it's an emotional that you need to learn how to deal with your emotions, but it also learning how to steer your body, so how to run, how to stop, um, how to climb, whatever. Uh, so you basically learn that. And with our dogs, I think it's the same thing. We we're asking quite a lot of our dogs, uh, and uh, our society is pretty. Um, fast and pretty demanding for dogs nowadays and I think it might have been less so it probably was less so uh, you know a couple of decades ago where dogs were more free to to roam but also there weren't that many people there weren't that many cars there weren't you know everything's just more basically Um, and the demands are quite high but looking at it from if you know your body, it will help you with confidence. So I was never that good at gym class. So, you know, confidence was pretty low if you get a challenge. But if you get a challenge and you know how to do it, you'll, you could, you'll be more confident. And if you have um, confidence in your body, uh, so you know what to do and you know your body's actually going to listen to what you're thinking, then um, it will be easy to do such a challenge. So if you look at it for dogs in our society, the more that we can give them um, a basis for confidence, and that's in themselves, but also in us, so that we're not asking them to do anything that they can't do, uh, then it will help them, you know, just to sort of conquer this world with us <coughs> sorry can you can you give like an example of a situation in which proprioception gives a dog confidence to act yes uh definitely it's uh, <coughs> a lot of the, what i see a lot of the times is dogs that can be a little bit you know uh, afraid of uh, ghosts you know stuff uh, when the wind blows and they sort of go like oh my god what's that uh-huh. and if people walk past and something touches them um and they hadn't expected then they might 
you know, jump a little bit. And knowing where your body begins and ends uh, and not being surprised by something touching your back, but actually knowing that is part of me and I can actually get it out of the way, that will help with confidence in those situations. Um, Dealing with um, sports dogs, dealing with physical challenges makes it much easier to um, do these challenges if they know how to go around corners fast but keep their balance how to put their, their feet down so they are, have got the best chance of going over in a proper way instead of just running and not really knowing but sort of oh well, we'll just go fast and we'll get there um, so what I see or what I saw I think that they're getting better at it now in, in Holland definitely Uh, is that uh, doing plank work. So walking on planks that are slightly above the ground and sometimes a little bit more above the ground. Then I'd get people in and their dogs are are doing agility and they have to do the planks slowly. So the dog gets a chance to feel their body and has to do tight turns on the planks and stay with their handler. And the dogs that were running agility and had no problem going over, is it called catwalk or a walk? What is it? I have no idea. That, I don't do agility. I, I think it, we, in I Holland we call it cat, a dog walk. <laughs> we, dog walk. Yeah, we call it catwalk anyway, which is silly because the cats are not going over. But anyway, um, and they would have trouble going over planks. Uh, just slightly above the ground where they could just touch it going slowly whereas if they would run over it so if I'd let if we'd let them go at their own speed so like you start at the beginning you end up at the end as quickly as possible then they would not fall off or um, wobble about on the planks but if they had to take it in our pace just a normal walk pace they would have much more trouble doing that challenge and also they would become insecure about it because they thought they knew how to do it but they could only do it at great speeds so they wouldn't really have to hit the planks they would be at the other end before they knew it the sport thing makes total sense to me like i can totally see that especially if you're in a sport which requires precision right like Mm. i know um that a lot of the times when sports require things like healing a lot of people have problems with what they call crabbing where the dog starts walking sideways and i guess that that rear end awareness would make total sense Mm. right like I need you to peace, be exactly. in a particular, yeah. a particular position. Yeah, move your body. What, yeah. what I struggle with more is um, the kind of everyday dog, right? But yeah. you've already covered that a little bit in terms of, like, it, it seems to help them with their confidence when they come across something that stresses them out yeah. a little bit. So, mm-hmm. so then I yeah. was wondering, like, how much science has been done on this? Because that's, like, a really... In, like I would love to see that. That sounds really interesting. I doubt there's been a lot of science done on it. It's mostly been aimed at, or not, or not even the science been aimed at, but it's been mostly been aimed at a rehabilitation. I think that's where it came from. Okay. And with sport dogs, everybody's doing it now. I I don't think everybody everybody's that is doing it is taking the data. Okay. Okay. So uh, at this point, it's, the, it's more of a yeah. kind of anecdotal yeah yeah and and just what you see happening so what i do find um working with dogs i used to work at a um as a vet assistant and um what we found that was dogs being on the table and dogs being on the scales Mm -hmm. would become an issue the the larger the dog would become um especially since scales were usually in a corner or set up against the wall so they would have a little bit of trouble of wanting to get on or wanting to go into small spaces and what we find doing the proprioception work is that even large dogs once they get to know their own bodies are much more able to 
um, go into small spaces, do tight turns because they know that even if they do sort of uh, sidle up against the wall a little bit, they they won't it won't freak them out because they know what's happening. They have actually seen what's going to happen and they know what they're doing with their bodies. So it's um, so yeah no no data but um, or no data written down but plenty of um, experience yeah right. yeah experience because you have <clears throat> a good thing to take data on that sort of thing but not every owner actually not every um uh, owner actually then i know they see the difference because they tell me but not every owner writes it down yeah i mean it's a real shame i would love to see science on that for sure like it sounds yeah. like so, so interesting yeah. and yeah it when you explain it it makes a lot of sense <laughs> so it's like like yeah but you need the data to sort of as a proof and the, i think the only stuff that we've got is out of rehab that they know which exercises strengthen certain body parts or certain muscle groups um and that's all that's been doing okay yeah that's that's an, another whole subject we could go into because the mm. what you were talking about there about balancing on tables and going on scales and stuff yep. again i can completely see that because if you're if you've built up confidence to balance on like a peanut, like yeah. a table yeah. is a, is, a, is a walk problem. in the park. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that makes total sense, and it's interesting that this is becoming really, um, uh, really common in the dog sports because I think that that I mean you, you tell me popular in horse sports as well. It's becoming popular with horses as well because we're working on proprioception stuff with horses but, more and more as well. well is I mean, what is your knowledge of of how much is being used in people sports? In people sports, I think um, the balance. So the 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 balancing, the strength exercises used a lot because even if you just go to the gym. But I I don't know how much. But if you see athletes train, they will do um, strength strength exercises, uh, which usually are partly balance exercises uh, especially if it's for sports which have movement and you have to uh, switch movements really quickly um well gymnastics is all about that absolutely because that is all that but uh, you know standing on one leg on a balance disc is something that loads of um athletes do uh, to strengthen their um the muscle groups around their ankles have you um heard of a guy and i'm probably going to butcher his name i think it's ido portal no no um the reason is it ido does p-o-r-t-o-a-l yes i think so yeah ido portal you know him i have i've only heard the name about once or something <laughs> okay but it's in the back there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was Ooh. i was because i'm in my other hobby, I'm very interested. I love the UFC. So yep. um, mm-hmm. Conor McGregor has always trained with a guy called Ido, Ido Portal, who does a yep. lot of what I would think of as proprioception stuff. And it's uh-huh. always been uh, very controversial. Like a lot of people have kind of given him a lot of shit for it, basically, and kind of been like, oh, that doesn't work. Like, that's just a load of rubbish. But obviously, he's had a huge amount of success with it. Um, so yeah, I just yeah. just throwing that out there. I just yeah, and I think, but I think there's there's so many different uh, sports that um, are part of that. So if you look at parkour, even because parkour is really big, and a lot of that is proprioception stuff, knowing where you're going to go and uh, knowing where to put your hands, knowing where to put your feet, knowing how to jump, how to land. That is basically it. Is all everything is proprioception. 
but how do you uh, so is it part of your training for another sport so say football or whatever or is it uh, like gymnastics so that the whole sport is about controlling your body in such a way and uh, I think with dogs we can take it uh, you know, as in, uh, it's great for confidence work. Uh, it's great for them to know how what, about their bodies. Um, it's much easier to teach them how to be cooperative in um, either grooming or uh, veterinary care if you can actually tell them which foot to lift because they know which foot it is uh, and that they can actually balance their body in a way that you don't have to you know hold on to them or whatever so it, it makes a lot of sense and I but I think the basis is proprioception we've just made it basically we've just made it into made it into a thing it's obviously always been there without proprioception we can't even walk hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we've just made it like everything in in whichever world. If it's horses, cats, dogs, it doesn't really matter. Uh-huh. Of course, you sort of make it into something that people want to know more of and people want to join in with. And um, what I the, what I really really love. I mean, I love doing it with youngsters, which is not so much about strength training, but more about you know learning about your body, knowing where your feet go, not tripping over yourself to get somewhere. Um, but also for dogs that um, there's lots of dogs on leash a lot of time because well, especially in Holland, we have a small country and we haven't got that much space to let dogs off lead, and most areas they are not allowed off leash. Uh, but it does happen that. The average person doesn't you really walk fast enough to walk with a medium to large sized dog so that they can trot easily or they don't walk slowly enough so that the dog can walk. So there's these different gates that we need to consider. And uh, so a lot of dogs pace when they're on leash. And a lot of the dogs, if they do not come off leash, so they're always stuck in that sort of, uh, you know, regular leash it's what is it not even two meters long uh-huh. um so the dogs sort of get stuck in this pacing and they sort of tighten up their bodies because they're not moving on the diagonal they're moving on the lateral so it's two legs on the same side but the body should be free to choose the gait that they want to move at like we move at different speeds as well uh and sometimes you walk faster sometimes you walk slower just depending on where you are what the surface is etc etc and um what i find fascinating is that with the proprioception training if you take the cavaletti part which is all about coordination and uh, endurance and strength is that we can actually teach dogs um about uh trotting again so i've had multiple dogs that have come in pacing and usually we we start trying out if we don't suspect a problem with the body and we start with cavalry training um uh, if we do suspect a problem by the way we always send them to an osteopath physiotherapist or vet Uh, but uh, if we start working with cavalitis and then they actually find their trot again so they can actually find their rhythm again in different uh, gates which is fantastic because it makes them use their bodies properly again and not just in one way it's always doing the same movement is well basically we have rsi as well you know if we always do the same movement it's just not healthy because the muscles get uh, tensed up and they get locked into this one movement which is not what bodies are for how do you deal with that lead issue like you said you know i think that yeah. two meters is is probably good for a lot of dogs like that's that's still that's um, generous yes, i think um, the average is 
would be about one meter ten. I don't I have no idea about. Uh, I only do metrics. Yes, sorry. no, no, no worries. So I was, I was wondering then, like, do you use longer leads? Is there a way you get around that, or is it just yeah. kind of like? No, I always have people use longer leads, and I always have. I have, have about. I have plenty of two meter leads, so I prefer they have two meter okay. or longer. Okay. And depending on, okay, so they then have to shorten it sometimes and lengthen it out sometimes because it's not always possible to have a three or four meter lead. Uh, like if you're walking in the middle of town, um, you can't have it on a three, four meter lead, but you know, you just have to hold it in a way that you can have it a little bit shorter. But you know, the average dog, and in Holland, people are quite tall. So if you have a one meter 10 lead and you've got a, you know, spaniel. <laughs> That's a bit of a problem because they're always on a tight leash. Right. Not even uh-huh. they're not even trying. They're not even really pulling. It's just that the leash is so short. So I get around that problem by asking people to bring a two meter lead. So so what about harnesses? Harnesses or collars. I uh, I prefer harnesses, but I have a bit of a thing about which harness because not all harnesses are Equal, good right? for yeah. all bodies. Okay. Yeah. So uh, where. Collar, obviously, if a dog pulls on collar, it is not healthy. I totally agree. Uh, and it, I would love all dogs on harnesses, but not all dogs want to move properly in harnesses. They don't, don't always like harnesses. Like my border collie was uh, brought up on harnesses, but now I have him on either nothing or a collar. Because, and I have a – and that's hypocrisy for you. I always have him on a – on a, a harness if I'm going to go into public with him because I prefer harnesses. Now, he does not pull at all. So I have no problem having uh, a collar on him because I need uh, a handle sometimes. So you need to just hold him for a little bit uh, or keep him safe on a lead so he can be with you. But he's not pulling on lead because he actually learned to walk with me and when he was a youngster, he was always on a harness anyway. So we did. He did, always had all the pressure on his body. So I'm looking for having every dog in a harness. Are you loyal to any brand? No, I'm loyal to a type. Okay, so what's the type? Uh, <laughs> it, it's an H or a Y harness. Okay. So it's a harness that goes over the head, and you've got them with side clips. I mean, you've got you've got harnesses with like four clips on, two for the for the neck and two for the rib cage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I prefer them to go over the head or with a clip, you know, like you do a collar to have them on the, on the, on the neck. And then the harness goes through the front legs. It goes over the sternum uh-huh. and then it passes up again and attaches on the ribs. Yeah. My dogs, uh, use hakianas. Um, but yeah. I'm also a little bit conflicted because other than, than for the harnesses, I, I've always been like a huge, I've, I've always been a huge fan of the Julius canine in terms oh, of the yeah. brand but the harness yes. i keep hearing bad things about shoulder movement i know <laughs> and i'm kind of, so i'm like oh i love this brand but the harness is... go into that yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing to do with the brand it's just the type of harness so the the y or the h uh the strappy ones because uh, they keep the whole shoulder area free but also not just the shoulder uh blades but also, you know, the points of the shoulder blades that come up. So when they move, um, the shoulders sort of – in a cheetah, it's really exaggerated. You know, that movement, that cat's through or cheetah, you see that roll of the shoulders really exaggerated. Okay. It's not that big in dogs, but there is movement there. And so what you're looking for is to keep the shoulder blade completely free because 
there's loads of muscles attached to the shoulder blades. The shoulder blades are not attached by bony um, uh, fixtures, but it's just muscles and tendons. And uh, so there needs to be freedom of movement there. Then if you look forward, um, you have, what's it called, the bowel? Uh, anyway, look at the front side of the dog. Then you have the shoulder joint, which is right at the front. And you want to keep that free as well. So the harnesses that have a strap along the front, so across the front of the dog, and um, they actually, a lot of time, more often than not, will actually uh, be on the shoulder joints, which can inhibit movement again, because you want the upper arm to move forward when they are walking How forward. How does that affect the dog long term? There you go. The science again. I don't think there's data out there, but it it will affect long term the the um, the way the movement looks. So if that strap goes along the front and they are um, impaired in their movement, what's that called? They are um, you're you're actually making the movement forward smaller because they actually hit that strap in the front, and that is not elastic. It stops giving way. So they will shorten, they can shorten their stride forward. Also, if it's on the shoulder joint, so if you find one of the joints and you put a strap over that and that's continuous pressure, and then most dogs that are in harness will pull. Remember that. Because we're putting harnesses on them, so they're not going to pull on their necks. So a lot of people will have them pull in harness. And then there will be that whole body weight pushing into those shoulder joints, which can never be good because you want the joints free for movement but also you don't want to irritate the joints because there's uh, tendons there and the uh, the edges of the joints can get irritated uh, there can be uh, bone um, particles that loosen that that's a dog that really crashes into the harness doesn't happen that often but you could um, what about harnesses so it, for different activities yeah um, do, you, do you think they should they differ depending on what the dog is doing Yes, I think that's where sledding dogs, sledding sport has really gone a long way because to have the ideal uh, harness for your dog so they can actually pull uh, in a way that they can put their weight into it, but their, their joints and their, uh, are completely free and they can have a range of motion of their legs and be free to pull on their sternum as well. Uh, so that makes it easier. And I think maybe for some tracking dogs, that would be good as well. So are there any at. activities that kind of like really put you off? Because I know that when you're in this kind of like, uh, from what I've seen, like I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, but like I know that in some of these kind of body awareness groups and, and, and conditioning and stuff like that, there seems to be mm-hmm. huge amounts of controversies about particular activities and particular sports and what's good for dogs and what's not good and yep. it's all a little bit daunting it is um uh, i think with any sport you need to look at good warming up good cooling down and being um uh sensible about what age you are actually going to start your dog because i think the biggest problem i have with sports is that we are um, entering young dogs like 18 months old, not fully grown, into adult competition. And that's just not fair. We don't put kids into adult competition in, with humans because we know that their bodies are not fully grown yet. They haven't got the muscle yet and the skeleton has not fully grown. And with dogs, we do it all the time. 18 months, that's it. Their birthday is on that day. The next day, they're in competition. Mm-hmm. 
and the height of the, the jump, if, if we go to agility, the height of the jump is not adjusted. If you're 18 months old or eight years old, or that's not, not true, six years old, then the height of the jump is the same, which is not fair. What types of sports have the dogs you've worked with been involved with? Loads. We've got frisbee dogs, agility dogs, trackers, uh, tribal, hoopers. Um, if you could change anything about any of these sports, what would what would it be? If it be one thing? <laughs> go ahead. Go on a rant if you like. <laughs> yeah, nah, I can do a lot. <laughs> I'll pick one. <laughs> it would be not being allowed to start until uh, 24 to 30 months of age. And preferably... Oh, okay. That's quite... That That's a much later, starting. isn't it? Yeah, that would preferably that will be starting the training. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so that's so when you say and the training, you what... do a lot of training beforehand because you can do a lot of proprioception stuff. You can work on coordination, you can work on balance, you can work on strength, but all adjusted um, to the age and what the body development is at, and where the body. De- development is at at that moment when you say the training do you mean the training that involves like impacts like jumps and all that kind of stuff jumps and fast turns okay so people can still do like heel work and heel work's a bit of a thing as well okay Okay, tell me about heel work so uh heel work um starts uh, well i mean i not not everybody does it the wrong way or the way i would not like to see it but sometimes it starts with really young puppies being next to legs with heads up and doing heel work as in we've got to teach them the position when they're young but because they're growing so fast they are actually going to compensate for their balance in their body and they don't have the muscle strength yet to do it properly so you're actually bringing them out of balance for when they're older because you're training something that they can't cope with yet when they're that young so what do you I mean by out of balance? Uh, well, if your head goes up, if you're a dog, okay. <laughs> you're four, four legs, and your head goes up, your weight shifts back. Do you mean momentarily, so, though? Yeah, but how long do people practice heel work for? Hmm. So you think that that could have lasting effects? Then? Definitely. Yeah, if you look at the way some dogs move, you can actually see how they've been trained, because some of them will have their legs way back and not under them because they've been compensated from Papillon. My legs are in the way, so I'll just put them back. Well, this is Uh, interesting. Okay, okay, I've got so many questions to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) So when would you start hill work training? Uh, Hill work training, you can uh, cut into small pieces because you can do your uh, where do you want your dog and depending on which type of uh, obedience training you're doing because they all have different rules. So uh, all the different obedience heel works have different rules. Some you can't see air between the dog and handler. Others you have to see air between the dog and handler. Um, So you can teach them the position without having to move. Also, you want to teach them to stand on their own feet when they're trotting. This is something Kay Lawrence taught me years and years and years ago. This is not me uh, uh, finding this out. This is uh, just looking and listening and, and learning and seeing what it does with the dogs. But you can teach them to trot. What I find with young dogs is that they find it hard to find a rhythm, their own rhythm. So they will go a bit faster, a bit slower and wobble a bit to the left, wobble a bit to the right. So teaching them how to trot, you can actually start with when they're teenagers. So when they're adolescents, you can actually begin with um, uh, little endurance training to find their rhythm as well. So you can work 
at them, but without walking in the way because they've got to find their balance. They've got to stand on their four feet. So if we're going to be right next to them, we're actually going to hinder them and change that balance. And we want them to be on their feet because that would be the best way to go through uh, heel work. And then you can also then teach them which head carriage you want to ha- want them to have. Do you want them to look forward? Do you want them to look up? Do you want them to look sideways? Uh, basically, you can teach the whole part, the whole um, exercise in lots of different uh, small exercises, which you can all start when they are younger. But you don't have to do it at 10 weeks old, the whole thing. I, I, I didn't learn to read by getting Lord of the Rings. Right. I got uh-huh. ABCs first, and then you got two-letter words, three-letter words, four-letter words, and then, wow, we go to a sentence, three words. Uh, so it takes time. So why and, does it affect them more when they're puppies than when they're older? Uh, well, if you look at uh, strength, uh, the skeletons need to grow. Uh, and obviously the muscle grows as well. But everything is growing. So whilst they're growing, the muscles are not going to um, build up in mass and strength really quickly because they are being stretched out, basically. So they do grow in strength, and they do get bigger. But if you look at, uh, say, a five-month-old medium to large-sized breed, it's all legs. Uh, And those legs are pretty hard to steer, because they don't have that much muscle to keep it all intact. And if you then look at the joints, the joints need to be kept in place because of the tendons and the muscles around them. Now, if you are very small and you're doing a lot of work or you're you're just walking in the woods for 10 minutes and then you've got to do some heel work, you get tired easily. And when you get tired, you tend to not have the right body posture. And that also uh, means that your joints might be a little out of place or that, you know, put too much pressure on your joints, which you can't yet compensate with with enough muscle um, around the joints to keep them safe. So why do we always have to do loads of back leg strengthening exercise for adults with HD? It's because the muscles are going to keep that hip joint um, safer. Ah, now that's a really common issue, hip dysplasia. So that's a good one to get into, actually. What kind mm-hmm. of exercises can help people that have dogs with hip dysplasia? It totally depends on what the hip dysplasia is like. So if there's a lot of arthritis, it's going to be different. Uh, they might need painkillers as well. Uh, so that needs a really good uh, vet or therapist. Okay, to you actually... can't get into that. Mm, well, I can't say you can do that and that. No, and that. no, no, that's what fair I enough. Say that's is my that own. They need, to, they need to work on uh, muscle strength, but they need to do it in a way that will actually keep the joints safe. So um, it can be acrotherapy, uh, for instance. That's what I used with my German Shepherds way back. And uh, it can be in Holland. We do a lot of cycling, obviously. So we take the dog uh, beside the bike once they've got. Uh, a basic endurance going because it's trotting um, at a certain uh, speed, you know, relaxed speed, but build up the muscle. And you can do different exercises, but it depends on the amount of arthritis and and how bad the HD is. If a certain exercise with, for instance, say a balance pad is going to be helpful or detrimental. Now, what surprised me was uh, when I heard you talking about how when you used to work as an office manager you could tell how people were going to do in their interviews because you had developed this knowledge about proprioception and people's body language and how it relates to things and it 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 reminded me of sherlock holmes like you're literally on some sherlock holmes style i'm not that good by now (laughs) 
<laughs> like you know exactly all these details about people. Yeah. But I think if you ask any uh, behaviorist, um, that they will they will do the same thing. So how many of us that are into behavior work with dogs, you know, you see the train crash happening before it happens. Well, I I work with dogs with behavior issues, and I could definitely tell with dogs, but I wouldn't yeah. I. I wouldn't say it's I have anywhere thing. near as much confidence with people. No, but it is, it is, really is almost the same thing. And it's, start watching people. I mean, I love watching movement anyway. And I started in horses and uh, then dogs. And I did dancing when I was younger. So movement and watching movement uh, was, was always my thing. And then I did ethology. Well, wow. That was just the, you know, icing on the cake because it made you look even better at smaller nuances in muscle tension and, uh, you know, weight shifts and that sort of thing. And it's it's fascinating to see. But we I think we depend for what is it, 70 percent on body language, which most people uh, are not aware of. So was there something in particular that got you into this? The proprioception? Yes. Oh yes. Well, I, I, uh, like I said, I did the co- the course uh, with. I'm a, I'm a walking billboard for Kay Lawrence. <laughs> uh, I did the course for with Kay Lawrence, and it's. Uh, I always, always thought there was more to sports than just teaching the sports to dogs, and that really, uh, you know. Uh, picked it apart into so what skills do our dogs need to learn and even if it's just life skills but what skills do they need to learn what do they need mentally what do what can they need physically so we sort of pulled all the sports to pieces and then you got into this wow they need this they need to know about where the place their feet they need to learn with how much strength they do that they need to know their weight shift um how they can change their balance uh, you know so all sorts of stuff and i was doing tribal at the moment at that time or getting into tribal at that time and that means pushing huge uh, you know there's gymnastic balls around and uh, you say well that that doesn't really take much skill does it? it's just pushing a ball around but um you know the whole skill of getting into the right position using your body knowing how to push and where to push so if your nose is a centimeter too high or a centimeter too low or if you've you're pushing with your right shoulder more than with your left shoulder it will influence where you're going so that really um made it so interesting to to work that out and that sort of got me into this whole uh, i'm gonna do this with my own dog and then uh, this is just too good not to do with other dogs and so then it came to the to the training school that I'd already started and it, it's been yeah it's been so much fun and so interesting to do now, how much uh, of a difference is that going to make to a dog's uh, performance when they where when they're doing the sport I mean if, if they're just just doing that proprioception on top how much of a difference will that make I think if we don't start the dogs too young uh, it will make, and if we focus on the skill of steering their bodies, so not focusing on speed straight away, then I think we can prevent, or we are preventing loads of injuries because they know how to get themselves out of trouble and they know how to uh, do a turn over, uh, you know, just after a jump or during a jump. Uh, so they know where to place their feet and they are not being surprised by what their body does because they have control over their body. So this is more about uh, preventing injuries than... Yes. Okay. It's more about preventing injuries than winning a cup. (laughs) 
yeah, for me, it would be preventing injuries, definitely. But it will most definitely uh, work towards because if you're if you're conditioning the body, so if your strength and endurance is good, and not just with that sport, so not just training jumps, but also working on your uh, your balance and your strength and your coordination, that will add to your skill when you're doing a course. It will add to your skill when you're catching a frisbee. It will add to your skill when you're doing weird turn sort of distance with hoopers. So and it will definitely add to what they can do on the course as well or what they can do in a contest as well. I would totally imagine that it would make a difference in terms of precision. Like yes. that that seems where that seems like a, an obvious thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like especially in people sports, you know, like we were talking earlier about like UFC and and mm-hmm. and like gymnasts and and that kind of thing, like anything where you have to be very precise, you know, like if you're a gymnast grabbing something or like if yes. you're a fighter that don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like being able exactly. to know where your head is is probably a good yes. thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and being able to read what's going to happen and you know, a, a, a slight adjustment can change everything. Slight adjustment in your uh, in your weight shift is going to mean uh, a big difference in time or big difference if you're going to make it or not. Uh, are you going to catch that frisbee or um, yes, are you going to yeah. make that tight turn in heel work? It all depends on how much control you've got on your body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about the strength and conditioning side of things? How does proprioception help to strengthen dogs? So what we do, proprioception training is the, is the, like, the whole big word for it, but that's only a small part of it. So the whole thing consists of balance work, which is strength, which can be uh, without materials and it can be with materials. And it's coordination, which is all about where do you place your feet and, and uh, weight distribution as well. And then the um, uh, proprioception and endurance stuff is there as well. So the strength and uh, conditioning is the working with the core so it's strengthening core muscles and you and also strengthening uh, muscles of the shoulders and the legs and that can be inside and outside so it's adductors and abductors uh, but um, it mainly works through core work so it can be we can have uh, feet on platforms front feet and platforms back feet and platforms and have dogs do stretches through the back so they stretch out to a hand target or stretch out to a cookie uh, and then have to come back into their um, base positioning again and because they're stretching out they're engaging their core muscles and that is going to make those core muscles with repetition obviously and with differing exercises stronger and stronger um and making those core muscles stronger and the muscles, you know, the deeper lying muscles, not just the muscles we can see on the legs, but the layers beneath that, the, the layers that keep the legs attached to the body, so to speak, um, that is going to make a difference in how they can uh, set off and how they can break and all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, but it's all about working the body uh, with um as you say, balance or weight shift, uh, lifting one front leg or lifting one back leg or uh, lifting over the diagonal even. But the easiest thing and the most sexy thing for proprioception training, which people see, is standing on a balance ball or on a, uh, on a balance cushion because that is what people like to see. What's your opinion of um, like weight pulling and stuff like that? Sometimes I see that on Facebook and you see these dogs that are like ridiculously yeah. jacked and it's like, uh, is this normal? Like, is this, is this okay? 
I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. But I find the same with people. I, I think as soon as we go with whatever we do and even look at weightlifting for people, if we go into extremes, I sort of um, don't see this, you know, what's it for? Okay, so it becomes why, less why about are we doing this? yes. It becomes less about functionality and more about yes. looking yeah. good. It's the same with any dog sport, by the way. I mean, agility is not very functional, is it? And frisbee is not very functional, but it's for us. It's fun, mm-hmm. and but and assumably for the dog sport. Is, yeah, assumably. But you know, we're, we're not picking working breeds for nothing. Are they going to say no? No. So um, it's no, I think as soon as we go into extremes and I find the same with balance work, I don't believe in um, dogs going into crazier and crazier exercises in balance and coordination work just because it's exciting to watch or just because you can do it. It's got to be functional. Hmm. What do you mean by what do you mean? Like you kind of hinted there, like our working dogs going to say no. What, what do you mean by that? Well, um, the reason why we're not doing uh, frisbee with a Bernese is because he's not going to run after that frisbee because you tell it to. Mm-hmm. So it's not got any drive for that activity. It's not. It's not. You know, it's not programmed to chase after something in that way. So, and the the working breeze that we've got, um, well, it's not. It's not really weird that a lot of them are shepherd or t- shepherd types. You know, mm-hmm. the pastoral group, um, and. Um, we have selected those dogs for a willingness to do certain activities and hopefully to do them with with us not all of them not all of them choose that we've got lots of pastoral breeds as well that you know do their stuff and they know best so like the livestock guarding dogs um, is a totally different cup of tea but um, yeah I I can't see um, I can't see the working breeds that we've got in the high power, you know, the high energy sports, I don't think any of them is going to sit at the start and say, no, I don't really feel like it today. Well, this reminds me of when I was hearing David Ryan talk because he has this kind of like joke in his talk about how different breeds get different kind of dopamine kicks from different things. So like the Mm -hmm. livestock guardian dogs, they're just sat in a field high all day yeah. <laughs> just led there and they're just getting flushed with uh, feel good chemicals so True. presumably those working breeds that are doing whatever it is um, yeah. are, are getting yeah. the same dopamine kick from those yeah. activities yeah yeah. and you can yeah. you could argue from a proprioception point of view that maybe those activities aren't always good for their long term health especially if it's not d- done in a very mindful and considerate way yeah, I mean, you can do, and I mean, I love people doing sports with their dogs. I just think like they can prepare them a little bit better and they can be a bit more careful about when they start uh, and, uh, you know, look after the bodies and minds and make sure they're ready and not just because they've reached the age to be ready. Do you think that's about educating people that the age is maybe further out than they think? Yes, yeah. it is, but it's really hard. Hmm. I mean, I've been, yeah, we try. But it's it's really hard, and I've I've also I've got people coming to proprioception class. You know, I've got a superstar puppy classes actually superstar adolescent SSP science better than SSA, and um, so it's it's a class where we work on proprioception stuff and we work on mental uh, uh, you know 
being able to deal with certain stuff. So they can just be off with the fairies a lot of the time, but uh, we're trying to teach them how to uh, work through certain challenges and how to work together. And yes, sometimes they're off with the fairies or they're off with smell, but it's a basis to learn all about the bodies for the handlers and the dogs to get in touch with each other and to get to know each other and to get this working relationship together. Um, and then hopefully sort of stretch it out till at least 10, 18 months and then they can go into a sport. But around about 40 months of age, most of them are going, yeah, now we've really got to go do something as if they've not been doing anything already. But because it looks like play uh, and it's not the sport, um, uh, people think the dogs aren't learning anything and, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, they see it as play, which is not, uh, but that's a really, does, does the age depend on the sport across. as well? I think, well, I think over here it's most sports, uh, are 18 months. Oh, I mean, you like enter. your recommendations. Oh, the type of sports. Yeah. Um, oh, I think tracking can start yeah because uh, yeah because that's that's just moving right that's just walking or yeah you should tell unless you've got like a, a dog that's really really powerful uh -huh. and really hangs it but i think working with the right type of harness that should be okay but then you look into and looking you're gonna do it but um yeah I don't know if there's sports actually. I know we've got tribal. You can start, I think it's at six months, but even then it's still quite hard work for youngsters because they've still got to use the big balls. Mm. And I uh, just kind of meant the recommendations that you would make because I know that oh, different sports are going to have different yeah. kind of requirements on the dog, right? Like, like you've mentioned there, like yeah. tracking is going to take much less of a toll on a dog yeah. than Frisbee yeah. would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, my recommendation for anyone wanting to do any sports is work on the relationship, work on um, uh, getting to know each other and getting to know uh, your both your bodies. So you've got to get into it yourself as well, I think, as a handler. And um, then, you know, the first 18 to 20 months, just have fun, delve into your relationship, do physical skills, but not necessarily on a sports field. So work on all the different skills, but at a slow pace and uh, at lower intensity than you would an adult dog. Yeah, it's very interesting because I know that there's been a lot of debate in some sports about the way that they're doing things now. And I can only credit that to people like you that are making people more aware of it. Like I know that recently there's Hopefully. been there's been a massive um, debate in working trials, for example, about the way that they have the jump and they don't have... Yes. Oh god, how can I explain it? They don't have like a platform on the other side to shorten yeah. the dog's fall. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's straight down, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think that now and I know that I've from what I've heard that a lot of like military and police organizations are already putting in that step. So yeah. it seems like awareness is being raised and and there is there are changes happening. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also it's a, it's a culture you're changing. So it's it's the the way we've always always done it. The way we've always done it, and well, even just now, um, there's all sorts of changes in any sports. I know it's it's quite dynamic, but sometimes the changes are not exactly the changes you want yet. I know that at one point they took the table out of the agility field because the dogs had to. 
uh, were slipping off the table because they were going so fast. Uh, so the table was taken out, not looking at other things for safety, but, you know, um, it's uh, – so there's always changes. And I think people will always – everybody is doing this stuff out of love for their dogs and they want to enjoy their dogs. Um, but I think what would be good is if we as a uh, as a community, you know, the dog community as a whole, would know more about the physical – uh, development of dogs so not just socialization and everything which is actually everybody knows about socialization so it's really we really it's taken a long time but that's really uh, um, gotten to all layers i think or almost all layers uh, but now this physical development so um, even looking at adolescence the changes that hormones uh, <laughs> they wreak havoc in the body and in the brain and, you know, they're puppies, they're lovely, they're fine, they're great, then they're adolescents, and they're all of a sudden, they're dogs that want to take over the world, where it's just, they're just, I mean, they've got hormones in their bodies, there's all sorts of smells that are suddenly going to mean stuff, they're supposed to become uh, self-sufficient, you know, when they, if they would be free living, they need to explore the world, and they need to get these social contacts, which are very frightening and scary, that's for us humans in adolescence, it's the same thing. Um, so if we have more knowledge of that and if we could, um, you know, be a little more sympathetic towards what they're going to and manage the antecedents, manage the situation so we can actually help them or help them to um, um, show behaviors that we would like to and prevent behaviors that we wouldn't want to or that can be dangerous or, um, you know, detrimental to the dog's own health that would be fantastic and i think um people just don't know enough about the development of the dog's uh bodies physically or mentally by the way yeah when you brain, brain or body yeah when you uh yeah when as you were talking then it kind of reminded me as well of this kind of move now towards later neutering like yes for a long time vets were neutering dogs at quite a young age and now uh -huh. we're seeming to get some awareness that that, that might not be the best idea there's studies coming that are actually um, focusing on, so what are the effects? And there's loads of effects on uh, tumors that are um, more prevalent after early neutering and there's behavioral changes and there's changes in uh, even injuries. If we look back to proprioception, the cruciate ligament injuries are more prevalent in dogs that are uh, that have been neutered early, so before six months of age. And that is because the length of the long bones changes because the the growth plates close slower when you have early neutering. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I Which, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know that there's been a lot of awareness around it. I didn't. I I knew that there must be some kind of proprioception elements to yeah, it because, fair. like you said about the growth plates and stuff like that. And I know that a lot of people talk about that when they um, discuss later neutering and. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I thought there were also some examples of um, dogs being more likely to get cancer. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Multiple different types of cancer as well. So it's uh, hemangiosarcoma and osteosarcoma, and there's I think one or two others. Yeah, it's come, which I is, haven't got it. Yeah, I haven't got them. Uh, which is kind ready. of ironic because yes. for so long neutering was kind of pushed as well. Your dog can't get testicular cancer and they can't get pyrometra, 
And it's exactly. like, well, yeah. actually, yeah, but maybe yeah. they're at more risk of all of these other things. <laughs> yeah, but and the, the data is out there for the vets as well. So it's and I think it's in Holland it's about fifty fifty. If you go to to one vet clinics and they'll say you've got to new to before six months or around six months and the other half will say now you've got to wait till after uh, you know um, for for the for the females till after their first heat or season uh, or preferably even the second maybe and for um, for males you know a lot of the times I understand it from the viewpoint uh, of we've got too many dogs ending up in shelters too many unwanted dogs that is a whole different discussion but uh, that in that case neutering makes sense but if we're neutering for physical maybe problems that are not happening you're actually creating other problems yeah that's not the right that's just not the right reason to neuter early is it yeah absolutely and i think there are certainly countries where neutering is less common and they are able to control their dogs i'm, I'm not yes. i that's it, it's a tricky subject isn't it i can kind of see both sides of it um yeah. i would hope that people listening to this podcast are responsible enough to <laughs> stop their dogs from just mating yeah yeah I, I understand that you know neutering we need to neuter if it's about keeping the population of dogs to a normal level but uh also looking at you know there's of course there's loads of dogs coming out of puppy meals or people ju just want a litter from their dog and they won't neuter anyway so it's um yeah, yeah exactly. it, it's mostly the people that are responsible anyway that are going to do it so you know yes then yeah maybe it's better to have the bodies actually reach full maturity and then see what needs doing yeah no i completely agree and, and whenever i have training clients that ask me about neutering i always say to leave it as late as you can and then um, exactly, and yeah. and then if you're you're still adamant that you want it done, then you know at least at least like you've said that um, you know they've had as much time as possible. Yeah, to grow, and you know the hormones, uh, you know the testosterone, estrogen do so much more than just uh, in a. Um, uh, you know, it, it is attached to bone density and um, brain maturity. There's just all sorts of stuff. The, the hormones are all um, cycles in the body. It's not they don't just work on one thing. They work on so many different systems, and that's what we tend to forget. But we tend to just you know get rid of them. So f for people that have listened to this and completely had their mind blown, <laughs> like oh here's <laughs> another subject that I need to learn about. <laughs> you know, I thought. I thought training was enough. I was trying to figure that out. Yeah. And now here, here yeah. comes proprioception. Yeah. yeah. Where, where can they find out more about the information that you put out there and kind of your it's, content? At this moment, really simple because I am, uh, by the end of the year, I'm going to have a new website. But for now, you can find out uh, all interesting snippets of stuff on my Facebook page, uh, Sam Turner Balanced Dogs. Um, so that is my uh, Facebook page. That's all in English because I've just I've just changed it because I had a sort of like a business page was Dutch and English doesn't really make it easier for me. So I've the Balanced Dogs page is my uh, English business page, and there's going to be a samturner.nl website by the end of the year, but that will be on that Facebook page as well, so that you can link through to that. Absolutely awesome. Um... Yeah, I, I love the name Balanced Dogs, by the way. Like, it makes total sense for what you do. And I saw yes. the post that you you put up when people were kind of talking about 
Um, obviously, the term balanced has become synonymous with trainers that use positive, well, use a bit of everything. Yes. Um, yeah. it, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, it took some time to <laughs> to get it out there. I was going, like, oh, am I going to do this? Really? Are you really going to do this? Ballsy Can't move. I think of another name. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, but it's also, it fits best with what I do oh, and awesome. how I look at it. No, I, so, I, yeah. I mentioned it because I love it. I really like the name. Yeah. I think it's cool. Thank you. Awesome. Great talking to you, Sam. It was fantastic. Thank you for having me. Hey, before you go, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Don't forget to join us over on Facebook. Just search for Dog Talk with Nick Benger podcast discussion group and also as always you can get the show notes over at my website so to do that search well or just type it in the url bar nickbenger.com slash sam hyphen turner that's where you can get the show notes so you don't have to google for sam's links and all of that kind of stuff also don't forget this podcast was sponsored by button up box Butternut Box are a home-cooked dog food company. They put the food back into dog food. They are using fresh ingredients, so it's not just crap. It's not full of colorings and all that rubbish that you get in the supermarket dog foods. It's perfectly portioned, and it's delivered to your door. You don't even have to go through the stress of weighing it out for your dog. You can just uh, give them it as is because they've already done that all for you. They want to change the pet food industry for the better. So the dogs can live healthier, happier lives. And their food is great for fuss eaters and dogs with sensitive stomachs. It's made by nutritionists. And it's one of the few dog foods that has a five-star rating on All About Dog Food, which is a website that I greatly respect. And that was really the turning point for me because um, I I know how how difficult it can be to get a a rating on that. And... Yeah, I I greatly respect All About Dog Food as a review company. So that comes with a lot of credence. And and also, once as soon as I announced that they were a podcast sponsor, you over at the discussion group was just flowing with comments in in praise of the company. So I think that says it all as well. So if you want to get 75% off of your first button-up box order, then go over to button-up-box.com dot com slash nick benger and you can get that discount and order your first box great hope you enjoyed it guys see it